1: Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are recapping day eight of Browns training camp. We are in Berea uh, right now as we're recording this on a Friday evening. And of course, Deshaun Watson is still and always will be the topic of discussion here, Mary Kay. Um, as you know, as expected, the NFLPA did file their brief. They announced uh, that they did that earlier today. They had until midnight tonight to, to file their reply to the NFL's uh, appeal of the six game suspension. So Uh, What what does this mean? Is it just a matter of, okay, now the process really gets moving, or or I guess what happens next?
2: Well, what happens next is that Peter C. Harvey, who was appointed Thursday by Roger Goodell to to hear the appeal, uh, this will now uh, come before him very quickly. This needs to be an expedited process, which is one of the reasons why Roger Goodell is not hearing it, because he's very involved in the uh, in the Hall of Fame festivities, and then he heads up to Minneapolis for uh, for a league meeting where they will deal with among other things, the sale of the Denver Broncos. So he's pretty tied up over the next five days or so. And, you know, they mean it when they talk about, you know, expediting this thing. You know, they're not going to wait two weeks and then start uh, digging back into this. Peter C. Harvey will be on the job as soon as possible now that the NFLPA has filed their reply. So that's the next thing that happened. Uh, The thing that happens, the the thing to remember, however, is that the two sides can agree on a settlement at any point. So if if they decide that they don't want this going in front of Peter C. Harvey, they can get their heads together and see if there's something they can come up with. Now, they weren't all that far apart before, I don't think. I mean, they're, they were somewhere between 12 games by the NFL and 6-8 to eight by the NFLPA. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they find a way to meet somewhere in the middle and still add a fine that the NFL is very adamant about. And still require the treatment that the NFL is adamant about, but that's where it stands right now. Okay, so
1: I, I want to get into this because Roderick Dell choosing not to hear this uh, appeal for the reasons you mentioned, Mary Kay. But Ashley, it almost feels like that was the right decision, regardless. That you know, everyone going into this appeal just thought, oh, Roger's just going to do whatever he wants now. I don't know, maybe Peter C. Harvey is going to do what Roger wants, but at least there is the public perception that this is someone who's independent, someone who's not in the league, who is going to hear this appeal.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of his expertise, and you can read the story at Cleveland.com that Mary Kay wrote about him, but... Basically he helped develop the NFL's personal conduct policy and he's also done this in other sports leagues as well and he has a huge background dealing with sexual assault, domestic violence, all those things. He's a former AG, like he really does have the background to understand obviously all the nuances and complexities of the evidence that was presented, and it's you know, like you said, Dan, it's a background that Roger Goodell as the NFL commissioner just doesn't have because that hasn't been his
1: career path. Yeah, Mary Kay, when you uh, obviously, like Ashley mentioned, he's been involved with the NFL. He's not in the NFL. Is it at least a, a good thing that they're going with? You know, it's not even like Troy Vincent or someone with who actually works for the NFL. It is someone, um, at least, who appears independent.
2: Yeah, I mean. The NFLPA would probably disagree with that. Because, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's why twice it appears. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Because he actually helped develop and implement the personal conduct policy. Now, the personal conduct policy was collectively bargained, so that doesn't necessarily mean that he was, you know, all for the NFL. Um, but, you know, he he's closely associated with the NFL, um, and he has helped them on other cases like Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, and several others. So he's intimately involved with the personal conduct policy. Uh, He is a staunch advocate for women. He has tons of experience in the arena of sexual assault. He's a former federal prosecutor, and uh, he, he just has all the credentials that you could possibly want for something like this. I think he's Way more qualified than Roger Goodell would be to actually hear this appeal. So I, I think it's good that he handed it over uh, because you know I really think that um, you know that Peter Harvey is, is very skilled in these areas. So uh, you know that's that's the next thing that that's going to happen, and uh, you know really who knows where it's going to go from here.
1: And obviously this is all speculating. None of us know Peter Harvey, but I would imagine as a prosecutor. He would be, you know, especially with the background he has, he would be more sympathetic to what the investigators found and presented, uh, because that's essentially what the NFL was. The, the NFL, they were prosecuting in this case. The investigators were presenting their evidence. It feels like that part of it too. He's going to be more in line with siding uh, with the accusers, siding with the, the investigators and what they found, as opposed to. Judge Sue Robinson, who is very much you know both sides, looking at precedent, all of that. It just feels like he's going to more than likely see what the NFL found and, and put a lot of weight into that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's shaded that way for sure. I mean Roger Goodell is not going to choose someone that he thinks is going to rule in favor of the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson. They have wanted this year long suspension right from the beginning, uh, and and I think that. He chose someone that, you know, might seriously, seriously consider actually doing that. Uh, so, so that could be the thing that, you know, that he, that's what they're seeking. We know that they're seeking that and the fine and, and the treatment. And, w- you know, will he go to that point or, or will he not? But the thing to remember is, is that from a personal conduct policy standpoint, his word is final. It doesn't mean the matter is final, mm-hmm. but his word is final. Because, as we know, there is that chance that the NFLPA will file a suit in federal court. We've heard several times, uh, sort of, you know, like leaks that the NFLPA plans to do that. And I think that, I think that they probably will. I th- you know, we've seen it happen in, in the Tom Brady suspension. We saw it happen in the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. So, you know, I think they will go ahead and do that. And then any number of things can happen at that point.
1: Yeah, Ashley, when you saw Peter C. Harvey was the the guy and you kind of read up on him, you know, as Twitter does, everybody became a Peter C. Harvey expert the minute Uh they saw the name. But as you kind of read up Mm -hmm. on him and uh, I mean, I guess you sort of agree with the premise that I put out there that that he's more prone to side with the investigators and, and prosecutors
0: in essence. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When you look at his background versus L. Robinson's, I think that's um, kind of apparent, right? And like Mary Kay said, like, that's why the NFLPA wouldn't, you know, maybe necessarily have advocated for him being the final one to get this say and considering how closely he has worked with the NFL in the past. But again, when we talked about L. Robinson's decision, and Dan, I know you made the comment about If you read that 16-page report and did not have the conclusion page first like we did, you would read it and think, the NFL's getting what it wanted because she said the NFL proved everything they set out to prove in that hearing and and throughout this investigation, the evidence that they found. So I just think maybe knowing her background as a judge and knowing how focused she was on precedent— Maybe he's not going to have the same focus on precedent like she. You know, she weighed that very, very heavily when she made her punishment decision. And generally, prosecutors want the harshest mm-hmm. sentence. And
1: uh, so, I, I guess again, that's all. It's all speculative. We'll we'll see what happens um, as this process plays out. Which th- this part should move relatively quickly. It's supposed to to be expedited. Go ahead, Mary Kay.
2: Yeah, I I just wanted to say that, and this is something that I'm writing a little bit about today as we are, you know, after we're done taping this, I'm going to dive back into the NFLPA reply story. And I think one of the things that the NFLPA is going to harp on, uh, whether they did, did this already in their reply or whether they will in a lawsuit or whatever the case may be, but I believe that one of the things that they have an issue with is that Definition of sexual assault. The NFLPA doesn't believe that Deshaun Watson committed sexual assault. And Sue L. Robinson found, according to her 16 page report, that going by the NFL's sort of definition of sexual assault, she felt that it, you know, it met those standards. But the NFLPA has an issue with those standards. And um, so I think that they're going to really try to hang their hat on that, and, um, you know, it was, she said in her report that one of the investigators defined it as unwanted sexual contact with another person, and and I think that the NFLPA is going to continue to go down the road of, you know, no coercion, no force, no, you know, none of the things that would necessarily... In a court of law, or you know, legally, or you know, in a police matter, hold up as sexual assault. So I think that's where this thing is going to start to, you know, get a little bit sticky. But um, but yeah, that's that's what the argument will probably be.
1: And and that'll be interesting because I, I wonder if that'll even be something that. Um, I guess whoever hears an, uh, an appeal in federal court would even care to define. If, mm-hmm. Or if they would just say, well, this is how it's defined in the policy. So we have to, you know, we're here to talk about the the suspension. We're not here to talk about how the NFL defines this. I, uh, this is why it gets so, again, I'm not a legal expert. So I'm not even going to try to pretend to be one, but, but that would be interesting. Isn't this how Browns fans want to talk about their quarterback? Yeah. yeah <laughs> isn't this just exactly what people want to talk about in training camp let's talk about on the field though Mary Kay Kevin Stefanski has so far given Deshaun Watson most of the first team reps Jacoby Brissett has gotten a few here and there Um, he's got to get Jacoby ready to play but then there is that possibility that if there is a a lawsuit and this goes to federal court maybe an injunction could be issued and Deshaun Watson could be on the field so Kevin Stefanski is sort of between a rock and a hard place
2: here Yeah, and this gets very, very complicated and confusing, and I am in the process of, like, working through it with with a lawyer that's kind of, you know, helping me to explain and understand it myself, Uh, but it does seem to me that there is a world in which, if they do file this suit in federal court and they secure a temporary restraining order or get an injunction, uh, that there does seem to be a world in which Deshaun Watson could play at some point during that Supposed initial even six game suspension, um, so Kevin Stefanski does have to try to get Deshaun Watson ready to play just in case. I mean, what if what if they get the the TRO and he's allowed to play against the Carolina Panthers? <laughs> I mean, you just never know at this point. Uh, it, it doesn't seem very likely, but but we don't know. Now that's also coming up kind of fast, so I don't even know if all of this could happen by then. But um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's how uncertain this is, that not only do we not know and do the Browns not know how many games Deshaun is going to be suspended for, they don't know who's going to be available for their opener. Uh, so these are all things that Kevin Stefanski has on his plate, and he is dividing up all these reps uh, as best he possibly can, mostly between the first two, still giving Deshaun a lot of the first-team reps, most of the first-team reps, uh, but also keeping in mind that Jacoby Brissett might be playing all or most of the season.
1: Yeah, Ashley, they almost have to approach this like an injury. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you're going into a week where your quarterback got dinged up in in the game and you're not sure if he's going to go until like Friday or even Saturday or or whatever it might be. They almost have to take that approach in all of this.
0: Yeah, and I think like the way that Kevin Stefanski has talked about this without relaying his exact plan, like it sounds like – they're going to maybe shift gears towards Jacoby Moore once they're closer to season one like we are still or week one we are still like a month out from that game uh, slightly over a month so they do have some time and you know like we've said it's kind of like uncertain if Deshaun Watson if they would even use him risk using him in the preseason risk him getting an injury or something like that we all know how that works with starters in these preseason games um, so I think it's just very much still in flux and, and like you said Dan in a lot of ways it's You know, very, very different circumstances, but it reminds me of when Baker's shoulder injury last year was getting kind of sketchy, and he was like out there but not doing much, and you're kind (laughs) of like waiting to see is he going to play um, after sitting out that Thursday night game, and that took some little time before there was resolution. So this concept of a player like maybe being available but not, and we're kind of like being prepared for multiple possibilities – that way, you know, NFL teams are, are familiar, familiar with dealing with that sort of scenario. Um, but obviously, the, the allegations that, you know, could have the potential to become a distraction, uh, they're just so, you know, unprecedented that it, it is different. But in the technicality ways, there are similarities. So, Mary Kate, Kevin has done a good job and the players have done a good
1: job of at least putting the front out that this has not been a distraction, that there doing their work. And I I was talking to someone today just on the sideline watching practice. It was actually Lance Reisland, our our film guy. And I said, it probably helps that these guys are just in the building all day right now. You know, they're here at seven in the morning. They're, you know, whatever. It's like until 11 o'clock some nights. They're basically here all day and they don't have a ton of downtime. But I, I do wonder like, okay, if this appeal goes through and all of a sudden it's a year and then it's going to federal court and, you know, we know how long that process can take. You know, I mean, we've mentioned Tom Brady played an entire season. Um, you know, he had his appeal overturned, but then the NFL got it overturned back. Um, is there a scenario with it where this starts to wear on guys, even with Kevin Stefanski's best efforts for it not to? I'd have to imagine if this thing is, is dragging out in court cases and you just have no idea... If or when this guy's going to play again, it's it's got to wear on the team.
2: Oh yeah, they're human. I mean, they are human. So there is no way uh, that they aren't hearing and seeing so many of the same things that we're hearing and seeing. I mean, plenty of them were, you know, still out on the field when Deshaun Watson got news uh, that the NFL had appealed his suspension. Uh, there was a lot of like, furor going on after that, and people running around and doing things and. Uh, and they get asked about it every time they step up to the podium, and that's just par for the course right now. I mean, it's just what we have to do. So yes, yeah, they're they're human, and they're dealing with it, and um, I'm sure they're all doing the best they can to block out the noise. But it would be impossible to block it all out.
1: Yeah, and, and Ashley, I mean you can go spend your time like in the O-line room doing O-line stuff, but then you're going to go home and you're going to see text messages from people. And uh, you know, if you are on social media, you're going to eventually see something. I just, at, at some point, and again, maybe they're able to kind of get through this here while training camp is in session and they're just busy all the time. But at some point, these guys do have a lot of downtime. Yeah, I, you just can't insulate yourself from this, especially because this is one of the biggest stories in the league.
0: No, it's like might be one of the biggest stories in the world right now. Like I think you know, even non you know people who aren't interested in the NFL or not big sports fans in gen- general have some idea of what what is happening with that quarterback. You know that that's I, I think it's kind of transcended beyond just the NFL at this point. Um, so you're right. I do think like it's not going to be possible to insulate themselves forever and and I do wonder again like when these guys have to you know keep getting up and answer questions and it keeps coming up like at what point is there like a breaking point because they are still humans like like, I think I said the other day they can do superhuman things on the field but they are still human at the end of the day Um, and this could become you know a distraction for just about anyone and I definitely think it's a possibility still as this continues to kind of drag on this entire process and the I mean the other part of it is whatever their personal feelings were when the Browns made the
1: trade when they made the trade they also probably thought like a lot of Browns fans like holy cow I can maybe go win a Super Bowl now yeah um and Again, you're sort of in limbo. All of a sudden, you you cool. don't know how good this football team team's going to be.
0: And I think the interesting thing too is last year. I mean, we saw those frustrations kind of mount in real time, especially from the defensive guys, especially from a guy like Miles Garrett. And you know, we've said before if he's suspended for a whole year, you've essentially just lost prime years from Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward. Um, and that's tough to swallow. You know, as a player, these players know what, you know, the career spans are in this league. So that's an element of it too, I think, and it should be something the Browns are worried about. Yeah, it's easy, it's easy to talk about the big picture and the long-term
1: stuff now. It's a lot harder if losses are starting to pile up and the, mm-hmm. that spotlight is shining on you in the season. It, it's really difficult.
2: You know, one of the other things to, to consider here is, and I'm still I'm still trying to get the final answer on this, and that is – uh, if he is banished for a year, we know what the rules are for that. Uh, you know, you have to leave the team now, Yeah. the contract tolls, you know, mm-hmm. but in some ways that would be good for the Browns because they would have his rights for the five years after right. this, and they wouldn't miss out on $46 million worth of Deshaun Watson, because that's what they essentially are paying him per year, right? So if the contract tolls, and this year is just a wash, then he starts at ground zero next year, and they have him for the whole five years. So there are some ramifications about how this all works out, and I'm still trying to figure out if there is such a thing as an indefinite suspension that is something other than banishment. I can't get answers on that yet, but once we know more about that will be able to speak intelligently about what this means in terms of, you know, the rights and the money and all that. Okay,
1: let's take a break, and then we're just going to do some real quick non-Deshaun Watson stuff uh, on the other side. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, just real quickly run through a few things. Joe Thomas has been around. Wyatt Teller talked about him today, called him a unicorn, uh, especially in past protection, which... Having sat there and watched Joe Thomas, not even as of some offensive line guru, Mary Kay, it almost felt like he false started on almost every play. His anticipation was so good. His ability to get back in, in pass sets was so good. Uh, maybe there were some officials that just weren't going to pull that flag out. But regardless, you earned that in the NFL. Uh, Joe Thomas maybe a Hall of Famer very soon. Um, it, it's only going to help Jed Wills in this offensive line to have him around.
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys know. I mean, we heard starting at the end of last season Wyatt Teller saying, you know, he needs to pick it up in mm-hmm. the uh, work department. Yeah, Jed does. And, and Jed does, and that, um, and that, you know, he invited Jed to come work with him in the off season. And then Joe Thomas on the podcast with us basically said the same thing, that, it, you know, Jed needed to just kind of step it up a little bit. And now he is working with Joe Thomas. There is no better Offensive lineman for him to work with. It's an invaluable resource for them to have Joe right here. Uh, you know, he's doing the preseason games, he's doing some of their radio each day, you know, the Cleveland Browns training camp show that they have going on. Uh, so he, he's part of it, and uh, he's imparting all of this wisdom upon these guys, including Jed.
1: And- Ashley, one of the things that stood out, we talked about this on our video, uh, the note-taking, right? Like, There's a lot of things that Joe Thomas can do that other people cannot do, but what you can do is prepare. You can put in that time and that work and take notes on second second or backup defensive ends who are going to be starters one day, and then you're ready to face that guy. That sort of stuff is really important to see from a guy who made a lot of money and, and is headed to the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think for somebody like Jed Wills, when we're talking about what was his big issue last year, right? Like, he got an ankle injury week one, and some of the, you know, sort of, criticism-ish, I'll call it light criticism maybe, (laughs) that we heard from people around the Browns last year and his teammates were that he needed to step it up, like Mary Kay said. And this is an area where he can step up, right? And we have multiple guys on this team that, you know, we know part of the reason the Browns drafted them was because of their interest in game prep and their football IQ. And that's constantly what you hear from these young guys who perform early, like the JOKs, obviously on the opposite side of the ball, Um, like the Greg Newsoms, those guys who have found success super early do those kind of things. I think Kevin Stefanski loves that kind of stuff. I mean, he raved about Anthony Schwartz at the Combine this year because of all of the, you know, the way he handled all the Zoom interviews and, and his football IQ and things like that. They really love this stuff, and I do think it is just invaluable for Jed knowing the steps he needs to make to kind of take that next step in his own career.
1: And Mary Kay, that wide receiving core, continues to take hits. Michael Woods, who had been having a really nice camp, hurts his hamstring, was not out there today. No word uh, on, we'll probably hear from Kevin tomorrow on the seriousness of it. Uh, but, you know, as we've talked about before, these hamstring injuries in camp for rookies, uh, you just hope this isn't the one, the kind of one that would derail him.
2: Yeah, I mean, geez, what is going <laughs> on that at the snake bit receiver position this training camp? My goodness, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like this. Now, fortunately for all these guys, these are not real serious injuries. David Bell should be back soon. Anthony Schwartz should be back soon. Amari Cooper was only gone for, um, I think it was one day. Yeah, he missed, yeah, he missed it, yeah. one practice. I mean, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, now Michael Woods. He's been doing a really nice job, making the most of his opportunities, and now he's out with a little bit of a hammy. Hopefully it's nothing serious for him, and uh, he can get back out there because, as I told you guys before, I was the first to say it. He's going to make this football team, (laughs) and he's got to get back out there and get back on track.
1: Uh, Nick Harris was poked in the eye today. He should be fine, which is good news because as soon as Ethan Pochich stepped in. A lot of bad snaps and ensued. And we saw him leave the field after one. They they replaced him with uh, Michael Dunn, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Now, I'm sure he'll be fine if they did need him to start, but uh, uh, it's good news that they aren't going to have to try and figure things out without Nick Harris. He'll still continue to get that opportunity to be the starter. All right, I think that's everything. I said it would be quick, non-football stuff, I, or football stuff. I promise these pods will be more football-oriented one of these days, but...
2: Cade York missed a field goal. Oh, yeah, Cade Cade yes, York Cade missed York missed his first
1: <laughs> field goal. From
2: 58 yards,
0: it, it had the distance just little too far right, and the one before that from 53 yards bounced off the left upright we did have somebody ask on Twitter, it was the regular goalposts and yes. not the thin goalposts that, they, that are up there. Yes, it was the regular size
1: goalposts. Miles Garrett was underneath uh, helping out with the uh, the spotting of the kicks. If he, they, was, they he was to
0: the first out. one I saw wave it no good from the 58 <laughs> It's 58 that yards. defensive
1: player, even though that's his teammate and that's a guy that he wants to make kicks, it's that defensive player in him that just yeah. can't help do the, uh, the no good signal. So Cade York is human. That's something we found out today, but the ball still sounded good coming off his foot. It still sounded really good, and we're
0: up to, like, 17 of 18 on these camp kicks that we've gotten to see so far. 5 of 6 today and 12 of 12 on, I believe, last Saturday and then Monday when we came back here. And he is
1: hitting from 50-plus, aside from that one. So, um, if you're out of camp and Katie York starts kicking pay attention you'll, you'll want to watch it's fun it's probably been the highlight of camp can i just honestly, say yeah so i
0: mean fans love it like fans go nuts on twitter they're going nuts here you know people are yelling that's my kicker like <laughs> these fans have really embraced k dork so i hope he's enjoying it since he's new to cleveland
1: <laughs> oh browns fans you really are the best
0: <laughs> all right that'll do it for the order to brown talk podcast
1: your day eight of training camp uh for mary Kay cabot and ashley i'm dan thanks for listening everybody